I'm Dr. Greg Winteregg, CEO of the Private Dentist Alliance. I want to talk to all of you students out there today who are wondering what your future is going to be like as a career in dentistry, as an assistant, as a hygienist, as a dentist, where is this profession going with the rapid increase of the DSO movement? I'm here to tell you the PDA is going to help you and I want you to become a member today. It is free. Now, why should you become a member? You're gonna get weekly video updates from me and you're gonna get regular updates of our newsletters from the Alliance on exactly what is happening and how we are going to help preserve and protect the private practice of dentistry. Now to me, the most important advantage is you are going to get access to our job board. What is that? Our private practicing members all have access to our PDA job board, which means if they have an opening in their private practice of assistant, hygienist, doctor, front office staff, they're going to be able to post it. And you're gonna be able to check up regularly. And as our membership grows, we're gonna be covering larger and larger territories across the United States. If you are looking for a job in any position in the office of a private practice, you need to become a student member today. It is free. Go to www.privatedental.org and become a student member today. You're gonna to love your benefits. Do it now. What is up, guys? It's your boy, Matt Havis, back at it again with the Dental Center Box Podcast. And today we have a very, very special guest for you. His name is Perrin Desportes. He is one of the three founders of Tusk Partners. And you guys are probably thinking to yourself, what is Tusk Partners? Tusk Partners is a special firm used to help a selling dentist broker the deal to get rid, sell his or her DSO, or group practice. Very high, highly, highly, highly uh, specialized. And while these are some services that a lot of the audience may not be looking for right now, they definitely provide a lot of insight in terms of consulting, all of the things that you need to know when buying a practice, and things that you should just do, such as mentoring and everything, to make yourself the most competitive coming out of school and to get you to that top 1%. So. As always, follow us on Instagram at dental.student.vibes. Give us some feedback. We'd love to hear what you guys think about this episode. And as always, stay safe and vibe on. Welcome back to the Dental Student Vibes podcast. I'm here today with all the boys, whole squad, and we have a very special guest, Mr. Perrin Desportes. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. Appreciate you uh, extending the invite. Y'all do good work, so I'm looking forward to this. Thank you so much. So, Perrin, I first heard uh, you speak on the Bulletproof uh, Dental podcast. Uh, how did you like that podcast? Those guys are great. I mean, uh, Craig and Peter have tremendous businesses. They're really, really sharp entrepreneurs. Um, and, and I love how collaborative they are and how much they're willing to share. I mean, they, they do a great job in their own businesses, but they come from abundance and really um, don't mind sharing what's been successful for them. So I was honored to be on their, uh, their podcast and certainly they're nice supporters of ours here at Tusk. So very grateful for that. Right. And I mean, one of the most important things that us at Dental Student Vibes, uh, we look for is other people who have done it already, who are, who have become successful. So 
I mean, I, I just heard you talk on that podcast and I was very impressed with what you had to say. So I'm very excited to have a conversation with you as well today. Well, it's not a lie if you believe it. Remember that. So as, as long as it sounded good coming over the airwaves, it, I, I'm sure it got high ratings for them. So <laughs> I, I believe it. So, so Perrin, can you uh, start us off and give me some background on Tusk Partners and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, yeah, happy to try to give you the condensed version. Um, so I'm one of three co-founders of Tusk, and my background specifically is that I spent 15 years working for Patterson Dental Supply, and I ran three different businesses for them over that time. Patterson, of course, is one of the two publicly traded um, uh, distribution companies in the space. Uh, I was a general manager for them, had full P&L responsibility from the age of 31 on. And I like to say, if I, if I knew what that meant at the time, I might not have taken the job. But um, I did pretty well with them. They gave us a lot of responsibility at a, at a pretty early age. Uh, and as long as you didn't put a hole below the waterline in the boat, you got to keep your job, at least for a little while. So um, they were great to me. I learned a phenomenal amount about business. It was kind of like being the CEO of your own business with a bigger company behind you. Um, and my two co-founding colleagues here at Tusk are DeWalker Sinha and Kevin Cumbus. Kevin is a, a recovering investment banker off of Wall Street, and his dad is a now retired pediatric dentist out of Montgomery, Alabama. So Kevin's done a lot of uh, what I would call valuation work in the dental practice space, traditional solo dental practice valuation, which is something that y'all might be interested in as you enter the workforce and everything. Um, and as a company called Heartland Dental started buying up some of the practices that uh, they had listed for sale. Kevin saw the way that an enterprise level private equity backed DSO looks at value creation and valuation when they acquire businesses. And it's significantly different than what it looks like when a, a young bank funded buyer goes to buy his or her first practice. So it looked a lot more like investment banking to Kevin. And so he left um, the company he was working with and went to work for a company uh, called Affordable Care Incorporated, which is the parent company of Affordable Dentures. So Kevin, one of my co-founding colleagues, has enterprise level uh, DSO experience working in one of their operations divisions. And DeWalker Sinha, our third co-founding partner, um, is a career healthcare banker, most recently VP of sales for a bank out of Pasadena called East West Bank, which was arguably the preeminent lender in the group dental practice space. So we may talk a little bit about uh, bank funding, today and lending and borrowing and all that kind of stuff. And that's really DeWalker's forte, because if you're going to buy your first and maybe only practice, low cost of funds is, uh, uh, is really the name of the game. Uh, it's rate and term, right? Uh, but if you're going to build a group and you're going to use bank funds to do it, growth capital is a significantly different endeavor than just your first uh, practice. And the way banks look at you as a borrower is different. So Kevin DeWalker and I all live in Charlotte, North Carolina, where Tusk is headquartered. We all saw different things happening in the, the dental practice space, uh, which is that there's this um, emerging market, if you will. It's entrepreneurial uh, dentists that want to own more than one practice. Uh, and they're in some phase of growth and scale. Uh, they're probably somewhere between about two and 20 locations. They're all using debt funds to grow and they're all making the same mistakes as, as they tend to grow their business. Uh, and, and the three of us, you know, if you sit down around the uh, campfire enough with one another and say, you know, somebody ought to start a business that would help these entrepreneurial dentists 
um, uh, scale their business and create success. And if they are successful in doing that, somebody needs to be there to help them monetize uh, and sell that business. Because traditional dental practice consultants focus on one practice usually, and they focus at an operational level. So it's things like scheduling efficiencies and hygiene retention and case acceptance and all that kind of good stuff. And traditional dental practice brokers uh, focus on selling one particular practice, usually as a multiple of, uh, or excuse me, as a percentage of collections. And neither of those are really adept um, or, or even qualified to help group practice owners scale their business and then exit their business. So the three of us felt like we had the skill set at the right point in time. We all happen to live in the same city. We decided to leave our cushy corporate America jobs uh, and, and launch a venture that we decided to call Tusk. And Tusk is a, a group that uh, uh, helps entrepreneurial dentists start, grow, and ultimately sell their group practice or DSO. So hopefully that was short enough to, uh, to give you an overview of both me and my partners. I feel like, honestly, you guys are uh, a dream team because the background from where all of you guys came from, it's so uh, diversified, but yet it's all so relevant to exactly what we would need, especially as somebody, you know, giving advice uh, right out of dental school where we know nothing about uh, any, any sort of M&A or consulting or anything. So. Well, I... Thank you for your compliments. I mean, that's, uh, uh, I, I don't take that lightly. I don't look at us as a dream team. We're, um, we're, not, as, we're not quite as bright as we look, you know? Uh, and sometimes the way we write and say things comes across better than we even thought. But at the same time, I think, you know, the three of us have, none of us are licensed dentists, right? That's the first thing. Right. But we all have experience running bigger businesses in the dental industry. So this is something for us that, again, is really a timing play. You know, our industry, the, the profession that y'all are at the point of entering uh, is changing a lot. There are unbelievable opportunities at hand um, that are gonna be sitting right in your lap for the, for the taking. Whether you choose to be a solo practice, uh, practitioner and own your own business and it's one location or maybe with a partner, um, or if you choose to build a group two or three locations or 20 or 30 locations. I mean, the opportunities ahead of y'all right now are phenomenal. And, and we're just, you know, privileged and pleased to be a, a part of it and to share some advice and, and uh, some things we've learned from working with other clients and some things that we draw upon from our prior work experience. And, and if we're able to do that, we'll create a successful company too. But it's, it's helping guys like y'all or people like y'all all along the way. Right. So before we dive into uh, all the material here, um, quick question. So you're saying it's, we've got a great opportunity right now. Um, and of course, you know, I don't know how practices are performing. You'll see the practices that really converted all of their uh, processes to going like full emergency, right? And they'll be able to take all the patients and they've seen like the best production they've ever seen. You know, they're hitting new records. Um, but then you see other practices that are shut down, et cetera. So how, do, how would you say that the, um, like the current situation is affecting like COVID, how, is, how it's affecting um, just valuations and everything? Because are they using um, values from 2019? Like how, how is that all working right now? Yeah, so um, let's be honest with one another. The crystal ball is a little murky right now, okay? I mean, I think we're still coming out of... Um, 
the COVID impact and, and nobody really has a lot of clarity, but there's certainly a lot of um, uh, different pressures that are, that are creating um, a changing landscape and changing relatively quickly. So um, let me try to give you some things from our perspective and, and um, you know, take it, take it for what you will. And I reserve the right to say that all this stuff could change in another 45 to 60 days, right? Yeah. So I think first and foremost, um, we, we work with entrepreneurial groups which are still using bank funds to grow. So these are doctor founded and debt funded, the way we like to say that's pre-private equity and that's, that's more locations than one, okay? So a lot of our groups that we work with and a, a number of our groups that we represent for, for sell side advisory services for exit um, have remained uh, uh, open in some respect over the last handful of months. They also have uh, more employees to draw from and they have more locations to potentially funnel patients to in the event of a COVID impact in one of their locations. Okay, so so part of this coming through the, the uh, shutdown, if you want to call it that, um, was that there were a number of groups um, that continued to market their services. And they understood the way to, uh, th th the fact that there are patients out there um, that need dental work done, that could be bordering on emergency work, that weren't able to access care from their existing dentist. So a number, of these a number of these group practices were able to pick up patients along the way, which is a positive. The second thing is, I think what we're seeing is what I would call a backlog right now. So a lot of our clients are um, 80 to 90% or greater in terms of pre-COVID revenue levels, which is phenomenal. That's, that's a good 10 to 20 points higher than the ADA average right now. Now, we don't have anything to do with that personally at Tusk, other than giving them some slight advice on some things to do in terms of planning and scheduling. But what I think you're seeing is that there, um, there were a number of patients that were in the mid-course of treatment um, through COVID that needed work to be completed, needed it to be done, but couldn't come to the dentist to get it done. And now there's a rush to pick that back up. So you've got this... I don't want to call it a bubble, but it's a rising tide in the first month back uh, that we're seeing high volumes of, of patients. I think the real telltale sign is going to be 60 to 90 days after we've reopened businesses to see what that volume level is. Does it stay at 90 to 100%? If so, great. We're off to the races. That's awesome. Or do we work through the backlog of patients and the real revenue levels are somewhere in the, I don't know, 60 to 80% range? Because at that level, if it's 60 to 80%, dental practices and group dental practices don't put enough to the bottom line to be fully staffed with that type of um, uh, decline in revenue. And they're gonna have to make some hard choices. All of that comes back to valuations, which was the inception of your question. So I think if you're talking about valuations, we, we have a lot of deals that have been in market that were pre-COVID, um, and those valuations uh, uh, have held up quite nicely. Some of the deal structure has changed. So whereas before it might have been cash and equity on the deal, 
Now it might be cash equity as well as an earnout to allow the, the seller uh, or sellers in some cases to return the business to, to pre-COVID levels and make sure that the profitability is there. And then the flip side for y'all, as you're thinking about potentially buying your first practice or your colleagues that may be coming out of uh, dental school and residency and looking to buy their first practice is, you know, uh, which banks are lending? Um, how do they make lending decisions from a creditworthiness standpoint, as well as from a, um, a standpoint of evaluating the, the business you're looking to potentially buy too? And I don't think we've got enough um, uh, under our belts at this point to say definitively that practice valuations are off 10% or anything like that. That would be a, a gross extrapolation. But I think um, when, you, when you get down to it, it's a supply and demand deal. They're just, there are a lot more people that are interested in buying dental practices right now than there are selling them. And it's kind of a seller's market in that respect. I, I, don't, I don't know if that answers your question directly or if that was a lot of gobbledygook. No, no, that, that was great. That was perfect. So like, I mean, essentially you're saying we still need some more time to kind of figure it out. Um, yeah, I mean, what do you guys think? Do you guys think, uh, would you buy a practice right now? It's hard. I mean, listening to what has been said between, you know, different people and like experts in the field, it sounds like there's a, a lot of uncertainty because some people say, you know, this could, it could be a hot time where people like some practices are acquiring a lot of patients and they're hitting record numbers, like you said, and then others seem like they're struggling based off of Facebook forums that we're on and everything. So you get, you know, the best of one world and the worst of another. So it's, it's a lot of, you know, it's, it, there seems to be some sort of volatility involved with it right now. It, it seems like it could be a high risk, high reward situation. Right. Yeah. I think all that's fair. So, you know, no, Nobody would buy um, a dental practice on uh, 2019 financials alone, right? Exactly. So uh, at the same time, no seller would sell his or her life's work for um, a trailing 12 months financial performance with the COVID impact factored into it because that would suppress all the revenue and profitability out of that business, right? So I think what you got to do is you got to look at, you probably got to look at 2019 on a month by month basis and say, how did the business perform from a profit and loss statement standpoint, month by month in 2019, as well as probably January and February of 2020, what's the run rate? What's the you know, it was the run rate going up and the, the business owner has a, a great business that continues to perform or was it in decline at that point? Right. And then you got to look at the COVID impact kind of isolated as a call it three months or something like that. And then you want to look at month by month post return from COVID and say, where are the revenues? Um, what is the confidence level uh, that, that those revenues are going to return and what am I willing to buy it for? Um, and what is the seller willing to sell it for? And maybe there's not a match there. And, and if there is, you got to be doubly confident, uh, especially if you're going to buy them out. I'm not really talking about partnerships here. I'm, I'm talking more like straight buy sell, right? So you got to be confident that you can create differentiation 
that your dental practice that you now own is, is different from those in the neighborhood. There's something different about you. You can market that. You can create some level of awareness and to, to a degree demand in the local marketplace uh, to differentiate yourself and that you've got the confidence that whatever you buy it for, you know, you can continue to grow or you can start growing revenues 10 to 15% per year into the future. Uh, and, and if you're confident about that, then maybe this is more of a, a, a buyer's market based on suppressed value and valuation, honestly. Mm -hmm. Right. And then something to maybe consider, we had talked about it with some other guests that we've spoken with, maybe a good call right now because of everything that's going on is for a student coming out of school. Maybe they go in as an associate or they go in in a place that's looking for work because there are a lot of people that are scared, and not really wanting to return to work, you know, maybe some hygiene. Maybe it's not exactly what you want to do, but maybe it's a great way to get your foot in the door in a practice. Go in, do some hygiene, you know, maybe some stuff that you don't necessarily want to do, but it'd be a great way to, you know, get yourself out there and start working rather than staying home. Yeah, I, I mean, Cole, I think that's a, a, a good point and, and one that I, I do get asked occasionally, not just from Denti young dentists and dentist students, but just from the business community overall, like friends and their their kids that are coming out of college or something like that. And, you know, what advice would I give to, to somebody about to graduate? And I don't, I don't think this is any different for somebody in healthcare. Um, like y'all, my, my wife is an ophthalmologist, so similar type of a, a trade, right? Um, versus somebody coming out of business school or something. And that is that you know, when you, when you enter the workforce, um, this, your first job is not going to be your last job, right? You're probably going to change jobs or that job is going to change in and of itself several times over. And I, I think the most valuable thing you can find in the workplace is a mentor, is somebody that's actually going to, to take an interest in you, that's going to, that's going to say, look, I can take this person and create a greater skill set. I can accelerate their learning curve. They will make a bigger impact in their profession thanks to my tutelage and time with them. And for you, as, as y'all are all potentially interviewing for any of the, the jobs that you may take, I mean, you're all going to make a, a healthy amount of money in your lifetimes. I mean, that'll come, that'll be fine. I understand you got student loans and bills to pay and nobody does what they do for free. But if you can find somebody that'll take you under their wing and really give you guidance and um, say, here are, the, here are the mistakes I made. You, I don't want you to do this, be it clinically or from a business context. Uh, and you can really learn from that person. That's, that's invaluable. And I'll tell you, I had that at an early stage in my career and I didn't know it. And, and I look back on it as being just dumb luck um, that, that I had a couple of people that took that interest in me, but now I get it. And if you can find that, you will be years ahead of your peers a decade down the road. I promise you that. Right. And we love that. You've learned from the School of Hard Knocks. And so that's why we love having these interviews. We love having these conversations. You know, if we can combat those mistakes so early on, we don't have to go through that school of hard knocks and, you know, take on that mentor that's made those mistakes and can show us the way. So that's beautiful. I love that. Yeah. I mean, Steve Jobs was even famous for saying, you know, he, he wasn't shy about beg, steal or borrow better ideas from other people. You know, and he's one of the greatest entrepreneurs of our lifetime. So if that guy can do it, then I, I think we could all learn from it. 
Right. I got to watch that. I think it's on Netflix right now. The uh, Steve Jobs. Right. Uh, doc- <laughs> it's not even a documentary. It's like a movie, right? Yeah, right. Cinematic. Yeah. George. So um, what are some of the steps to ownership a student can take while in dental school? Yeah. So, I mean, I think um, there's, there are a couple of traditional routes you can go. Um, and, and, you know, the, the one that's tried and, or the two that are tried and true are uh, for one, finding an established practice, be it a, a solo dentist or um, a, a smaller group that would allow for partnership buy-in at some level, at some point in time. Um, if I'm in your shoes, I would, I would want to define that. Um, because if my expectation is that I would have the ability to buy into the business within three years and that person's uh, thought process is, well, let's see if Perrin can perform over the first 10 years, there's a significant difference between that. So you want to get clarity around partnerships to the best of your ability early on. Uh, and that, that could also be some level of performance, um, meaning the, the existing business owner doesn't want to allow for someone to buy into his or her business if, if they can't produce a certain volume of dentistry. And look, I, I get it, or, or doesn't have the skill set to do the volume of dentistry required. Um, that's going to require uh, buying into a partnership like that is, is almost always going to require uh, bank funds to do it. And banks are usually very willing to, to lend money to, to make that happen because it's a, it's a low credit risk profile for them. Um, the other uh, opportunity is obviously, you know, buying your first practice outright. That's uh, a practice that's for sale where the seller is going to stay on board probably 60 to 90 days, um, maybe not much more than that. And you're going to have the keys to the kingdom and it's going to be yours for better or for worse going forward. But you own it outright. You get to call the shots, you get to manage the staff, you get to deal with unruly patients, you get to fight with the distribution companies over the cost of cotton rolls, you know, you get to have all that fun. And for that privilege, you also get paid last, I might remind you. So, um, but it's yours, you know? And I think those are the the two in terms of practice uh, acquisitions most immediately. Um, Obviously getting uh, some, some, you know, experience um, like you mentioned, in, in either a larger group practice or a, an enterprise level D, a DSO is usually a, a pretty good income uh, and you get a lot of at-bats. Um, but, you know, it's not always the, the quality of life maybe that everybody looks for, for in, in perpetuity, um, but it's certainly a good place to start as well. I don't know if any of that helped or not. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You, I mean, you, you kind of guessed what I was thinking. It really is coming down to uh, buying into a, a partnership or uh, full-on acquisition, right? Yeah. So that's kind of the thing that I'm dealing with where I, I can't really decide, you know, do I go for the partnership? But, you know, I might not have as much equity down the line as if I owned everything outright. So, I mean, have you really seen people exit partnerships in a group um, and make as much from, I guess, selling back their share of equity than selling the whole thing to a larger DSO or something like that? Um, it's tricky. Yeah. Right. I mean, so if you buy, let's just say that I'm the senior dentist and you want to come in to, to work with me and I sell you half of my business and, and we're partners and, uh, um, something, 
something happens, something goes bad between us. Like I, I don't want to sell my other half anytime soon and you want outright control, or maybe I take my foot off the gas or something like that. I'm just taking up space. Right. Um, you know, for you to, uh, for you to exit it at that point, you gotta, it's tricky. If I want to buy you out, that's probably the easiest thing. Right, right. I sold it to you in the first place, and I probably already spent the money that you bought, you know, 50% of my business. So the flip side is you got to find somebody to buy that 50%, and probably contractually, I have to approve that person. Um, no difference if you were subletting a space in a, in a building on a lease, but a lot more dollars and a lot more zeros uh, at stake in this endeavor. So, you know, I think on the on the partnership track standpoint, um, you know, it's okay to have a trial period to make sure that your objectives meet with that senior doctor's objectives and that your um, simpatico in your treatment philosophies, the way you want to run a business, what you spend money on and what you don't uh, to reinvest in the business, uh, what your growth strategy is. Again, if I'm the senior dentist and and I love the, the solo practice that I've built and I'm glad that you're a part of it, but your goal is to have more than one. You'd like to have 10 locations and I'm, you know, later stage of my career and I don't want to take, I don't want to personally guarantee the debt and take on the risk. That's going to be a challenging relationship for us to have. So yeah. what I would say is if you're going to buy in, um, the dollars will probably be what the dollars will be. I would sit back long and hard and I would think to myself, if I'm in your shoes, what are the things I value? What are the things I prioritize? Where, do, where would I like to see myself both personally and this business all together in another five to 10 years? And then have that conversation with the senior dentist to see if he or she shares those uh, opinions and visions. And if they do, let's go along for the ride together. If they don't, it's better to, to figure that out before any money changes hand and hands in any ink is dry on the contract. Great. Thank you. That that's like a, a serious question that yeah, it is. Because you know, right now we're at the stage we're gonna be graduating dental school in a year or so, and we're kind of just like um, all gas, no brakes. Yeah. So, you know, that that's the that's the point where we're at. Yeah, now, I mean, so I you know, one other thing I would say is like you know, at this stage, you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. and, and you don't have like a frame of reference on a lot of that yet, because you haven't been in the trenches in private practice and taken a punch yet, if I'm being candid. Yeah, yeah, for and, sure. You know, I, I think just give yourself the opportunity to make some mistakes with a lot of, without a lot of downside risk. When I say make some mistakes, you're going to get clinical cases wrong. I mean, none of us are perfect in anything and everything we do, but the fewer um, contractual obligations and uh, financial commitments that are tied to those mistakes limits the downside risk for you. So don't, don't be in a hurry to buy your first business. Don't be in a hurry to find the ideal partnership. I mean, get some experience, take a couple of punches, you know, uh, go through some of the, the motions to kind of understand what the real working world is like. And you'll have, a, you'll have a greater degree of confidence in hopefully what you want, but maybe more importantly, 
definitely what you don't want. And if you can start to rule stuff out like that, I think you'll be much more confident when that right opportunity comes along, whether it's buy-in or buy-out or, or whatever you want to do. Right. And um, courtesy of Tyler Tolbert, one of the guys we interviewed, um, he helped me write a letter to send to selling doctors. And I'll, I'll send that over to you. I want to I hear what your opinion on it. It's kind love of just to. like, hey, I'm just reaching out. Just want to see what's out there. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to talk to you about your practice. And please, will you sell me your practice? <laughs> so, yeah. Look, I like, to, I like to say nothing bad ever came of buying somebody a cup of coffee, a sandwich, or a beer at the end of the day. You right. know? I mean, right. if you just, yeah. and also ask them honestly if they're willing to give you some of their time. You know, what, what's, what's one piece of advice you would give a guy like me who's about to enter the workforce? You know, awesome. and just keep a journal of that, and, and you'll, you'll be surprised at how often some of the, the um, responses, the advice tends to repeat, and that's probably good to know at that point. Mm -hmm. gotcha. I, go, go ahead. ahead. You guys go. Um, okay, so bring, bring up your prior point. You were talking about how it was so invaluable to have somebody mentor you and really guide you. Would you say coming out of dental school in a like, private practice setting, would you recommend a new grad immediately jump right into full ownership or try to jump in as an associate with a quick buyout to have some sort of mentorship for, let's say, six months, a year, two years? Yeah, again, um, Matt, I, I think um, I would, I hate to say this, but I would probably dissuade you from pulling the trigger outright early on. I mean, I, I think when I go back and I look at, you know, the couple, first couple of phases of my career, um, and I moved around a lot, and I was, again, fortunate to have some some good people looking out for me. Um, I, I really, I really think the best thing you can do is expose yourself to the guidance of different people early on, so that you can kind of compare and contrast and take what you like from it. If you lock yourself into um, uh, a partnership too early on, um, you know maybe that maybe that senior dentist isn't a good mentor. Maybe they're a great clinical dentist, but maybe they're not a good teacher or they they don't go slow enough to, to teach you the, the value of what's made them great because that's kind of like for them, that might be slowing down to speed up, you know? And there, there are some people, this is kind of like, I don't know if y'all, any of y'all follow pro sports or not, but they, they talk about the best, uh, best athletes or greatest players at a given position making terrible coaches. It's the right. same principle, right? So they can, you know, they can shoot three pointers, they can run a route on the football field, they can dribble a soccer ball with God's gift to their feet and everything like that. But they can't teach people how to do it. And the best coaches are usually those that struggled with whatever their athletic craft was and they had to they had to figure it out and they had to go through that process of like honing their craft just to be slightly above average you know and when you think about a mentor you want to understand what their backgrounds are but you also want to understand that uh you want to have confidence that they're going to take their time to kind of to help you grow and become a better dentist and, and that's expanded skills that's speed certainly but it's also confidence in case acceptance from, from the patients. 
So I, I think if you're, if you're able to give yourself some period of time, a year, two years, three years, five years, whatever it takes to find those mentors, you're going you're gonna to go slower than some of your peers at an early stage. But I promise you the ramp for you, there'll be an inflection point where, where you've you know, squeezed all the juice out of those from, from people that have given you their time. And then you're, you're going to find the perfect practice to buy, or you're going to find the perfect practice to buy into that you can take to the next level. Incredible. Thank yeah. you. Um, Perrin, just before I get on to our next question, I just wanted to say, um, I, I think your advice is very insightful. And I, I just want to say thank you, not only from us, but for our viewers too, because I think you're giving us, you know, a different just frame of view like you were talking about earlier because you're kind of giving us like the Navy SEAL approach, you know, slow is steady and steady is fast. <laughs> and uh, I think sometimes, especially in a situation like this where you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, let alone two years from now, it's not always such a bad idea to think that way. But um, let's say I'm a, a dental student, not myself. You know, I could be a graduating dental student, D4. Like when do you think would be the best year for me or the best time for me when I'm ready to start making these next moves to come out and uh, reach out to TUS partners and get some insight? Well, I, I thank you for, for asking that. And I, I appreciate the interest in, in our company, certainly. And what, what I would say is that um, uh, for one, people can follow us through a number of uh, uh, different ways. Obviously, we have a podcast of our own uh, that you can find on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and all the others that are out there. Um, and it's all about the dynamics around group practices. Um, there are a number of videos uh, that are up on both our website and a Vimeo channel, and there are a few on YouTube. Um, our website is tusk-partners.com. We've got a number of blog entries, and you can probably find us speaking or, or something once we're all able to, to go back to work and start traveling again, at least. Um, so there are a lot of different ways to kind of follow our, um, our subject matter and, and to a degree our expertise. In terms of reaching out to us, um, here's, you can reach out to us at, at any point, all right? Um, and I think we're pretty open about giving advice. That being said, we don't do um, what's known as buy-side representation. And, and I just want to be clear for your audience because I don't want to set anybody up for failure or, or to have them say that, you know, we, we didn't follow through or something like that. And when I say buy-side representation, if you do want to buy your first practice or buy into your first practice, there are agents out there um, that will help you uh, determine the value or how much you want to pay um, for part of or all of a practice. We really don't do that unless it's part of one of the group practices we're working with that's, you know, growing through acquisitions. So for what we call solo brokerage, that's uh, junior buyer to senior seller. We don't do a whole lot in that marketplace, honestly. So I don't know that we're the best resource for your audience right out of the gates. Okay. Mm -hmm. That being said, one piece of advice I would give all of you and your audience as they're thinking about um, their first, uh, first handful of years in, in, the, in, in the business of dentistry is that if you, um, if you were intent is to, to build your own group practice um, and use bank funds to do it. You need to be really clear 
about your intentions with the bankers you're working with. And, and when I say that, it's because banks underwrite the risk of a borrower differently if you are going to buy your first practice and you are going to be the, the main economic engine of that business and you're going to work in that business four or five days a week. I mean, if, if that business doesn't go, you're going to die trying, right? right? And so for me, if I'm a lender, if I'm a banker, that's a pretty, pretty good credit risk, pretty low credit risk because you're personally guaranteeing the loans, you're working in the business, you're the primary economic engine of the business. As long as you don't get hit by a bus or something, I, I, I'm pretty sure you're gonna make a success out of that. And success is, I would define it as being able to pay back my loan on time, okay? But if your desires, as a, if you're more of an entrepreneur and you wanna own multiple practices, you wanna communicate that to your banker because you may be sitting in front of them and they may be thinking, well, you know, he wants to buy his first practice and, or his, his only practice and, and I'm good with that and it's a rate and term structure. But if you're, if you're thinking this is the first of five practices I wanna buy over the next probably five years, that's a completely different deal because you can't be in all five locations simultaneously and I hope you're not gonna be the primary economic engine of that entire business. Now you're an entrepreneur as a borrower, you're a business owner, and you may work in the business still, hopefully you will. It may be as the CEO, it may be as a clinical dentist, but as the banker, I'm gonna underwrite that risk differently. And if your desire is to own multiple locations, you wanna find a lender that is in sync with your business plan and that they understand it. Because if you get matched up with a lender that isn't, getting out of that relationship is intensely problematic due to prepayment penalties and loan structure and all that kind of jazz. Okay, so um, I, I got like a million more questions now <laughs> from that, uh, but I know we, we gotta finish up soon. So, um, you, so obviously you're gonna be taking on more risk if you know, you're not, like you said, the uh, guy who's trying to die keeping the business afloat, right? The, the primary economic engine. So uh, I guess there would be uh, a couple other, one second here. Okay. So I didn't know it's like you were airbrushing my hair or anything like that. You know? <laughs> if I need like, do we need to stop for makeup or something? I can do it. <laughs> so um, would there be a different uh, amount of risk associated if you let the lender know that you're taking on trial partners or any associates that you would be bringing on would be uh, sharing in the equity. Would that be underwritten differently versus just straight up salaried associates? Because that's like, uh, I don't know if you, are you familiar with uh, Brady Frank out from the West coast? Um, a little bit. Yeah. And that his, I think it's the Dr. DDS model or something yes, like that. Exactly. Right. And we, we just talked to him uh, a couple of weeks ago and he's amazing. And, so he's, he's all for taking on trial partners, uh, whether it's for, um, I, think, I guess, like one year or three months, nine months, something like that, and then having them, you know, decide do they want to buy in. Um, and in that way, like only taking on trial partners and equity harvesting to create enough liquidity to purchase your next practice 
Um, he believes that that is a better way to, um, well, first of all, raise funds, but also the, those, those new trial partners who become full partners, um, they will have more motivation, you know, cause they have skin in the game. So have you ever seen something like that with um, like, t- like it, as part of your business plan, I think this question is getting very specific, but as part of your business plan, like having partners w- would the uh, funds be more accessible from the lender. Does yeah. So, sense? so a couple of things here to keep in mind for one, um, uh, having, uh, having people with skin in the game, which, which is equity, um, is a motivate motivational factor for those people. They feel like they, they are a partner. They have skin in the game. They're contributing to the ultimate outcome of the business, whatever that may be. Um, guidance or, you know, a liquidity event at the end of a decade or something like that. Um, and if promoted the right way, it can help you recruit uh, arguably a higher level of associate. So we are very big believers in, in, in associate equity, associate equity, excuse me, and pathways to partnership. So I absolutely agree with that. Um, in terms of trial partner, I'm not sure the specifics around that, but much like a, much like my answer to an earlier question about um, taking your time to, to find the right um, uh, practice and the right mentor and everything like that, if you are the business owner um, and you want to um, recruit associates, I think you do want to be sure that they share your clinical philosophies, um, that they're team players, uh, and that they treat the staff well, the patients well, everything like that, and that you want them on the team. So what, however you define like trial partner, right. probationary period, whatever you want to call it, um, would probably be prudent. Um, it, it sometimes gets into... Uh, the equity structure, and I'm going to try not to go like wonky on you right here, but you can have equity at a practice level, or you can have equity at a corporate level or DSO level. And those two levels of equity can and are often different and they're valued differently. Mm -hmm. So the next question becomes equity at what level? If you are bringing, if you are the business owner, and you're bringing on associates uh, and they are going to either earn equity in the business or they're going to buy into the business um, for a stake of equity. If they own more than 20, this is, this is dependent upon banks here. Some, some they have a, some banks have a threshold of 10% and some have a threshold of 20% in terms of ownership. That's known as material ownership, and they will be subjected to personally guaranteeing loans if they own more than that amount. So again, if you're you're a young associate and you're coming in, you want to understand when you're going to be on the hook for personally guaranteeing loans for the business going forward. All right. The next thing is if the business has... Uh, debt on the business and an associate buys into the business, that associate is going to uh, usually go to a bank, borrow money for whatever that dollar amount is, and that's that dollar amount is going to be transferred to you for equity in the business. Now, they're paying the loan 
you get the lump sum of cash, right? Right. The proceeds of the loan because you gave up equity in the business. Well, when you experience a material change of ownership in the business, there's a covenant in almost every loan structure that says the dollars that you received have to go to pay down the principal on the debt. And the reason that that's important is that when people start talking about being your own bank and having associates buy into your business so you can self-fund your growth, that may or may not be possible depending on the covenant structure of the loans. Wow, so okay. That, I, I didn't know that at all. Yeah, so, so you gotta be, <laughs> you, you, got, you gotta kinda, you gotta kinda understand how your debt is structured and what you can take on and what you can't. The last thing I'll say is, if I'm a young associate, I'm buying into your business and I borrow a bunch of money from a bank to buy in and you get the proceeds of the loan, that's probably, I'm personally guaranteeing the loan to buy in. Okay, so I'm signing the note. If for some reason I default on that note, who do you think the bank's coming after? Well, they're coming after me first because I personally guaranteed it. And if I don't have the assets to cover it, who's backstopping the loan? You are. So you need to understand that if I'm gonna borrow money to buy into your business, even if I'm personally guaranteeing the loan, because that can impact your ability to borrow more debt funds to fund your growth in the future. And the last thing I'll say to totally confuse the issue is if I haven't enough already, is that in today's world of unbelievably low lending rates, let's just assume that we all get out of COVID and that banks, you know, open back up to where they were in January and February, okay? Dirt cheap cost of funds. If you want to build a business based on growth, meaning you want to start or acquire a bunch of locations, it is dirt cheap to do it with bank funds right now if you can find the right lender. And if that's the case, why would you part ways excessively with a lot of equity if you didn't have to. So that gets into the cost of debt funds versus the real price and value of your equity. And you really need to understand those two from uh, be able to differentiate those two because you could end up uh, selling a lot of equity in your business at a very low valuation, which would be great for the young associates becoming your partner but might ultimately impact the value of your holdings down the road if you intend to exit it. Right. That was a lot more than what y'all wanted, but that's, that's, real, that that's was exactly gold. what we want. No, it is. That, that's great. It's what we needed. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So um, first of all, Perrin, thank you so much. I mean, this has got to be one of my favorite interviews mm -hmm. we've ever done because we ask questions that are specific and you give such detailed answers. And honestly, it's, there's no, it's no BS. There's no fluff. I love it. So thank you so much for like giving us direct answers. Succinct right yeah. there. It, that's really like valuable. And that, that's kind of something that, uh, you know, we've talked to a lot of people um, and that's something that we're looking for when we, you know, uh, eventually take on partners, advisors, all that sort of thing. 
succinct to the point, no fluff. So I really, really appreciate that. Um, Thanks for saying that, Seth. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, can you give our listeners uh, your contact info, social media, all of that sort of stuff, and we'll wrap it up here. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so again, you can find us uh, on on our website, which is tusk, T-U-S-K hyphen partners.com. All of our contact information is there. If you have questions or if your audience, um, uh, you know, wants to respond on anything I've talked about today or any anything else that's top of mind, um, probably easiest to send an email uh, to info at tusk-partners.com. That goes to our general info box, info at tusk-partners.com. Uh, and any of our partners um, and I can uh, disseminate it and, and follow up as, as quickly as possible. Um, my personal contact information is perrin, P-E-R-R-I-N, at tusk-partners.com. You can find us on uh, Facebook, Instagram, Vimeo, YouTube. Like I say, we've got a podcast. We speak a de decent amount. Um, hopefully, there's a lot of a lot of good ways to find Tusk out there. If not, they need to fire the marketing depart department guy, which is probably me anyway. So, um, but uh, but happy to help you y'all and uh, your audience in any way that we can. Again, y'all are entering a, a wonderful profession at a great point in time. There's a ton of opportunity. Um, and you've got a, a long, long career ahead of you. And, and hopefully some of what I shared today will give you um, some ability to create some successes for yourself. And obviously, we're happy to be a resource or be back on your podcast anytime you'd like. Awesome. Thank you so much, Perrin. Um, and I'm going to take you up on that offer. We, we definitely want you to come back on, maybe bring some of your partners. And because I, I sent you some questions today that we might talk about. I think we got to one or two of them, you know, because we're just... <laughs> We're just rolling with it. So again, thank you so much, Perrin. My pleasure, guys. Thank, thank you all. Thank Appreciate you. it. Thank you. Well. My pleasure. Take care. Have all right, Vibe Tribe. That was our episode with Perrin Desportes of Tusk Partners. We hope you guys enjoyed this episode, and I hope you guys learned just as much as we did here in the uh, studio. And as always, follow us on Instagram at dental.student.vibes. Give us a like, comment, follow. Make sure you guys are giving us the feedback that we need to make this the best podcast we can for you. So at the end of the day, we do this for you. Let's make this the greatest podcast we can. Vibe on, stay safe, and let's learn a lot.